Welcome, everybody, to Books with Cooks, a podcast for bookies and foodies. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Alex. And we're two cousins who are also best friends who love to read. Yeah. And I love to cook. And I cook to survive. We'll be reviewing, analyzing, sometimes overanalyzing, and discussing the books we're currently reading, as well as new and old recipes from our kitchen to yours. By the way, we're real people with real families. So you may hear cats, dogs, birds, babies, and husbands. So enjoy that bonus material. Now let's get booking and have a tasty chat. we want to include some trigger warnings. This book and the following discussion will include topics of violence, suicide, torture, murder, death, and rape. So please be aware of that before you proceed. We also want you to be aware that there will be cursing and spoilers in this episode. So if that's something you're sensitive to, or if you haven't read the book yet, you may want to skip this episode and come back to it in the future. Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to our our book of the month episode for September 2023. Woo-hoo! It's another month. Yay. We will be releasing a new book of the month episodes on the last Wednesdays of every month, in addition to our weekly book discussions. We'd also like to remind our listeners that if you're enjoying our content, we would be extremely grateful if you would leave us a positive review on Spotify, Apple, or whatever streaming service you use. We'd also really appreciate it if you would spread the word by telling friends family, or any type of book lover in your life about our podcast. Thank you so much to all of you guys. We really can't express enough (laughs) how appreciative we are. (laughs) We love you, man. Hey, listeners, stick around after this episode for some bonus content. All right. Welcome back to another episode of The Schnack. No. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. So I can't believe that a month has passed and we're back to another book of the month episode. So... I know. I'm really flies, and that's crazy to me. It does. Uh, what are we snacking on today in this uh, nice little September day? I have possibly the second most boring snack I could possibly have, and that's that I don't have one, but I do have a plain <laughs> seltzer. It's not even, I didn't put any flavors in it today. <laughs> oh, boy. I feel like the only more boring thing than that would be just plain water. So how about you? Which I have. Okay. Uh, so I have a plain water, <laughs> but I also have a coffee. Uh, and I put it's delicious. I put a, it's a hot um almost like hot chocolate, but coffee. Oh so it's God. one of the Nespresso pods with the chocolate one, the rich mm. chocolate. But I also put in a little extra um chocolate macadamia, oh. uh macadamia nut syrup. So and good. I'm really enjoying it. That's one of my favorite syrups. I love macadamia nuts. Oh, it's so good. Uh, and then I didn't eat it yet, but I have one of my little pumpkin muffins that I had shared the recipe before um, a little while back. And nice. I have that in case I get a little uh, hungry. A little hungry. A little hungry. <laughs> so. All right. So since it's the end of the month, let's review what our favorite books were from September and also our favorite September podcast books. What yeah. Uh, from September. So let's review. We did... The Housemaid, 
we did we finished up fourth wing we did right. tomorrow so and tomorrow and tomorrow the housemaid and divine rivals okay so fourth wing i'm not going to count for september because we rated it last month and yeah. we finished it last month um the housemaid was thrilling as hell i really enjoyed that divine rivals was really cute too but i, I think i'm gonna have to go housemaid as my favorite read for the podcast this month okay how about you so I think my favorite, we also read Pretty Girls for the book of the month. Mm -hmm. And I, I think Pretty Girls was my favorite for this month. Okay. God have mercy on your soul. Oh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> no, the writing was was good. I will give uh, Karen Slaughter that. She she was she's a good writer. She is a good storyteller, but yeah. This wasn't for you, and that's fine. But <laughs> I, I really enjoyed this book. I really liked it. Good. Yeah. So what uh, what books are you most anticipating for next month? Oh, actually, what else this month did you read? If anything? Yeah, so I my favorite the other books that I read of them, my favorites would be Between One Dark Window and Air of Fire. But since we are going to be reading One Dark Window and reviewing it for the podcast in October on October mm -hmm. 10th, I'll go with Air of Fire. Um, so I'll include One Dark Window in a podcast book and I'll say Air of Fire was my favorite read for September. Yeah, I'm reading One Dark Window right now and I'm really into it. Yeah. It's getting really good. So. Yeah. But I'll zip lock my thoughts until we discuss it next month. Yeah. Although I have uh, been reading Bloodmarked. I'm almost done with it and that might be a contender for favorite as well. I haven't finished it yet. So. Okay. But it's really good. So I did want to read, I mentioned in the last book of the month, Daisy Jones and the Six. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to, but I did download the audiobook and I intend on listening to that on my vacation coming up soon. Nice. Uh, I heard that that's supposed to be like one of the best, if not the best, audiobook people have heard. So it must be exciting. I'm looking forward to it, but I didn't get a chance to look at it yet. Uh, I did read Akatar, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was pretty fun. Um, yeah. I'm interested to keep going on that. And I did start Caraval. I just didn't finish it yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's pretty good too. So I really didn't have a big book month uh, in September other than our books. Otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I read anything else besides that. I don't think I did. I just, I finished Air Fire. I started Bloodmarked and I should finish that by the time this month is over. But actually, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> But I think those were the only other two. I did start reading a a fan fiction because TikTok was raving about it, about <laughs> Draco Malfoy and Hermione. And first of all, Jessica, can I just tell you, Jess, this fan fiction is a thousand pages almost. And That's I was like, in, in what world? In what world? And my sick ass sat there and read a good majority of it. Although I will, I will admit I skimmed a lot of it because meh i'm not really a fan fiction person but i was curious about what the hype is and it's horrible it's absolutely terrible <laughs> but i'm enjoying it <laughs> so. yeah sometimes horrible we enjoy yeah <laughs> think about those netflix christmas specials they're horrendous oh yeah love them god do we love them <laughs> right a christmas prince christmas baby what else is in that series i don't remember what the i think the, the, the third is the christmas yeah. wedding Christmas wedding? That's what it is? I think okay. so. I think it's the Christmas wedding and the Christmas baby. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Th those aren't my favorite, but I do love those 
those Christmas movies, those Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah, they're good. There's a lot of Christmas movies, though, that are just, you know, not like five star, but worth watching. What's that Tiffany's mm-hmm. one? Something about um, not Breakfast at Tiffany's, oh. obviously, but I really enjoyed that. Last yes, year. I know what you're talking about. That was a cute one. I liked that a lot, too. That's yeah. where they like switch the the gifts for their fiance and girlfriend or whatever it mm-hmm. was. And then they yeah, end Jack, up. Jack Nicholson's son. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's in it. <laughs> For like five minutes. I forgot who else too, but it's a good one. I have to look up the title, right? Something from Tiffany's. I mean, come on. Oh, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Something from (laughs) Tiffany's. Yeah, it was really cute. I think your girl Shay Mitchell is in it too. Oh yeah, she's in it for five minutes. That's probably why I found out about it because she was probably talking it up and I was like, fine, I'll watch your movie. Yeah. And Zoe Deutsch plays the main female character. I really like her too. Yeah, that was cute. cute. Yeah, it was cute. Overall, I liked it. Yeah. But those are the type of flicks that we like around Christmas time, especially for some reason. Yeah. All right. What are so, we looking forward to reading next month? Yeah. Um, well, in terms of the one the books that we're gonna be reading for the podcast, I think I'm most excited. I did really love uh One Dark Window, but I did already read it. So I think oh uh, well, of course I love A Court of Mist and Fury. Really looking forward to rereading that. But I think the two I'm most excited for are Mary and Awakening of Terror and The Last House on Needless Street. I'm mm. just really looking forward to both of those books. Yeah. yeah. I-, I can't wait to finish One Dark Window. I want to see where this goes. Uh, I really am enjoying it so far. So I'm excited about that one. Yeah. And I am excited about The Silent Patient. Uh, you know, I like the whole um, description of it. It sounds yeah. really interesting and uh, it's gotten really great reviews. So I can't wait to check that out also. I think I'm excited for every single book that we're doing because I was just going to list know. them all again. It's true. So I'm just excited <laughs> for this month in general Yeah, <laughs> to read. Yeah. Uh, but as far as on my own, I, I do want to finish Caraval. I do want to read this cutesy little book called The Pumpkin Spice Cafe by Lori Gilmore. Ironically, her name is Gilmore. And I heard that this is like, if you love the Gilmore girls and you love full, which yeah. I do. <laughs> that you'll love this book and I was like yes okay download it immediately so yeah <laughs> uh, otherwise I am looking forward to Mist and Fury also and I'm looking forward to discussing that so again yeah. I'm excited all around for October yeah, for everything <laughs> I know it's hard to choose <laughs> it's hard to even come up with our podcast books because how many times did we have to change these because we were like oh but we we really want to read both of these but maybe this one we want to read slightly more and then just we had to keep changing things (laughs) yeah october got switched around a lot yeah we we were like all right look you know and i blame you book talk okay because my (laughs) my top three changes daily (laughs) and we have like over 500 in our tbrs already so not even exaggerating that's the real number yeah so you know it's tough (laughs) yeah it is are there any other books you're gonna try to read for october you know what? There is a book that I wanted to read that I downloaded recently. Uh, I told you about it the other day, but let me just go. Yeah, I was going to maybe read The Inmate by Frieda McFadden also. Mm, yeah. I really want to read Remarkably Bright Creatures. Yes, that's supposed to be so adorable, that book. I mean, in a dream world, here's some other books that I would read this month, but, you know, good luck to me. <laughs> uh, but I would love to read Riley Sager's The Only One Left uh, and also... Riley Sager's Lock Every Door. I heard that's amazing. Okay. 
And if I could, for a fantasy, I'll throw this one in there. Uh, Empire of Dragons, mm. uh, which I heard is really good. Yeah, that And maybe good. even Hidden Pictures by uh, Jason Rakulak. I don't know if I said that right, but that looks good too. But obviously, uh, I will not have time for even three of those books. Maybe two. <laughs> so I'll check back next month and let you know what happened there. Yeah. <laughs> but those all sound really, really good. And they would be fun October reads. Yeah. I had really set myself up. I was really ambitious with my September TBR. And then I just did not have the time to read all of those books I wanted to. For some reason, I was able to read a lot more in August. And I I just, I had this false sense that I could do it every single month and I can't. So I do <laughs> want to make sure I finish Bloodmarked. I, I think I'll probably finish that soon. Um, I also want to read the Assassin's Blade and Queen of Shadows in the Throne of Glass series. I'd like to get both of those done. And then if possible, I'd like to read some other things. So I'd like to read The Silent Corner, a Dean Koontz novel rec- recommended to me by my dad. Shout out, dad, oh. because it's the it's the first in the series. He said it's his favorite and or it's his favorite series, at least. And so I'm looking forward to that. And if possible, I'd like to throw some other stuff in there, but I'm not going to say because I don't want to set myself up for failure. So I'll just leave it at that for, for October. Nice. Some more sprinkles of Ernie. Yeah. More sprinkles love, of Ernie. I love how he made it into the title yesterday. <laughs> Uncle Ernie, whether you want to be part of this podcast or not, you are, man. <laughs> we are integrating you and sprinkling you throughout yes, the sods. An honorary member of this podcast. <laughs> Hey, welcome to Books with Cooks podcast with Jess, Alex, and Uncle Ernie. Whether he wants to or not, he's there. We're just going to start. I I think we should just change our logo to his face. (laughs) We we should use the photo I gave him for his birthday where it's the lady from the commercial that's like, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. And I put his face on it. He would kill you. He would be so mad. (laughs) So good. But instead, we could somehow replace him, like put his face on somebody reading a book. Instead, you know how we have the frying pan that has the word with in our logo? It should just be his face. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Don't even because I will I will make that happen if you need to. You just put him on the corner, maybe moving like going like this. (laughs) Just shaking back. (laughs) Oh, God. (sighs) Stay tuned for that as we we redo our logo. I can't. Uh, All right, let's get into our monthly horoscopes. All right, let's do it. We had a good conversation. (laughs) So since this is a monthly episode, continuing our tradition from last month, we'll be giving out monthly horoscopes for the coming month. We got these from yearly-horoscope.org and pulled a few sentences from each one. However, if you want to read your full horoscope, visit the link in the show show notes. We'll also give you an ingredient of the month selected by us. So now let's get into the horoscopes for October. What can you expect? Let's start with our signs. I'm a Taurus and Alex is a Pisces. So for this month, Tauruses, you have work until mid-October. No joke. And you will also be quite worried. It is true that you have Jupiter visiting retrograde until December 30th. And that gives... And that it gives you confidence and optimism. But that doesn't mean you won't make a lot of compromises and adjustments. Avoid conflicts with colleagues. And from the half sec- 
and from the second half of October, all eyes will be on your partner or towards finding a serious one. Haste spoils the job. Tauruses, your October drink of the month is pumpkin spice lattes. Nice. All right. So next up is Pisces. Saturn is in retrograde in your sign. This transit comes with moments of maturation. Not to your liking, but you can't help it. That's life. You have to take care of your health. To make peace with the closest relatives, to accept your limits and run away from victimization. I mean, let's get down to business. Jupiter, your ruler, is retrograde, but it doesn't bother you. On the contrary, it will help you figure out what is in your head and what is concrete. Pisces, your fall drink is a fall sangria. Yummy. Mm. All right, Capricorns, you are one of the favorites of the stars this fall. Lucky you. Even if your ruler, Saturn, is retrograde until November, you won't face any big problems. Maybe you just procrastinate. But we know you're patient. Jupiter will also retrograde in the house of love. So we could say it's time to enjoy life. And that pleasure must be your priority. Maybe you're planning some trips. Capricorn, your drink of the month is mulled cider. Mm. All right, Aquarius. You have escaped the retrograde of Venus in the house of relationships. We could say that you have been, you have free reign, but that's not really the case. Until October 9th, the stars will advise you to treat emotional matters with caution. After October 12th, Mars will move into the career house and bring you a boost of ambition. You will demand your rights, but not in the most pleasant way. As Saturn, your ruler is still in retrograde in the house of money, you will do well to be more frugal. Your drink of the month, Hot chocolate. God, I love hot chocolate. All right, where are my Aries at? Aries in the house. Aries, Pluto will make your social life more active and introduce situations that could have a significant emotional impact on you over the next two decades. People who don't belong in your life will naturally drift away, making room for new influential connections. Moreover, your long-term goals and aspirations may undergo significant changes, helping you move in a more positive direction. Aries, your drink of the month is a chai latte. Oh, the best. All right, Geminis. Autumn begins with Mercury, your ruler, in retrograde motion. So you won't even have time to breathe. In addition to your household chores, you will also have to take care of those of your loved ones, sorry. Saturn retrograde in the career house also comes with many responsibilities, not necessarily to your liking. And that's because this transit wants you to mature. Your drink of the month, apple cider slushy. Yeah, I want one right right now. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Cancer, in the first part of autumn, problems arise in your family and whatever else you do. (laughs) No, it's horrible. In the first part of autumn, problems arise in the family. And whatever you do, you will not have any stability at all. You won't know anything for sure. That's why it would be best to occupy your time. And why not replenish your financial supplies? In the last few months, you ran into multiple and serious expenses that you couldn't put off. Cancer, this month, you should be drinking some apple cider. I'm sure you will. Mm -hmm. All right, Leo's. After a challenging summer, you will surely want more linearity in your daily life. 
but it won't be like that at all. <laughs> Until the middle of October, you will always be on the road. You will have to learn new things and conduct more effective negotiations. With Jupiter retrograde in your career house, you feel like the universe owes you some success and you'll get them, but only after you readjust your ego level. Your drink of the month, Leos, hot toddies. Yum. Hey, Virgos. So from the second half of September, you will likely be a puppeteer. Mercury will stop its retrograde in your sign and leave you alone. You will be able to handle several projects at the same time. And starting October 9th, Venus will visit you and bring romance, increased attractiveness, and charisma. It only depends on how you will use them. Pay attention to expenses. Virgo, your drink of the month is cranberry margarita. Mm. All right, Libras. You start the fall strong. Mars is in your sign until October 12th. So you benefit from confidence, courage, ambition, passion, but also an extra dose of anger. Venus also supports you, bearing in mind that it is no longer retrograde. The stars draw your attention not to neglect your health at all. It is time to consider a new lifestyle and avoid extra stress at work. Your drink of the month, something that sounds amazing, spiced iced tea. Yeah, I think I'm going to have some of that tomorrow. <laughs> Scorpios, maturation on the relationship, uh, maturation on the relational level. The stars have more tests for you. With Jupiter retrograde in the house of relationships and Saturn retrograde in the house of love, you will realize day by day that the problem is with you and that until you heal your own wounds, no relationship will work. For those who are in a solid and harmonious couple, the stars have other proposals. Those to move on to the next step, a house, a family, a child. Scorpio, your, book, uh, your drink of the month is a hot buttered rum. Yum. I feel like Scorpio's theme song for October should be, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me, problem, it's me. <laughs> All right, last but most certainly not least, we got Sagittarius. Family problems continue, and it doesn't seem to end, and the fatigue really gets to you. Saturn, Saturn forces you to be responsible for others as well. Domestic and real estate matters also trouble you. On top of that, there are enough challenges in the career as well. The autumn of 2023 is as difficult as it is useful for you. So grab you some salty caramel latte, because you're going to have a little bit of a rough month. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Delicious drink, though. Yeah. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. Sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. Sorry. We're sorry. I'm deeply sorry. Sorry. For our book of the month episode, we're going to borrow a game from our potty sods. We're going to play a food-related rapid fire round. Alex, are you ready? I'm ready, Jess. All right. Tell us what today's topic will be. Snack foods. So mm. we'll have to come up with as many snack foods as we can within two minutes. I think you meant snack snacks. Snacks. All right. As you know, we do snack. So hopefully we'll do pretty good at this. Let's try it. All right. We're going in three, two, one, two minutes on the clock. 
snack time go. Chips, pretzels, popcorn, Cheez-Its, grapes, <laughs> blueberries, <laughs> strawberries. Any kind of fruit. Uh, um, Goldfish. Goldfish. Uh, Cheetos. The uh, crunchy uh, Cheetos. Sun chips. Yes. Hot Cheetos. Doritos. Salsa with chips. Guac mm, with blue chips, chips. Sour cream with chips. All the dips. All the dips. <laughs> sour cream dip. Yeah. Hummus. Ranch dip. Um, uh, carrots. Oh, my crackers. Cracker cracks. Uh, and just crackers is fine. Pretzel yeah. crisps, pretzel crackers, nuts, pretzel rods, nuts, cashews, like us, <laughs> like yes, us, assorted nuts, nuts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> pistachios, pinolis, roasted uh, chickpeas, wasabi edamame, roasted, regular mm. edamame, bagel bites. Um, oh, bagel bites. Yeah, M- mootsies. Bread. Is that a snack item? <laughs> Desperate or appetizer, whatever. Mozi's, yeah, yeah mozi's can be a snack item. Onion rings, uh, French fries, French fries, um, French fries, and a, and a wannekin. Rice cakes, <laughs> rice cakes. Uh, Bel- we said popcorn, all different flavors. Yep. Uh, Belvita bars. Oh, sunflower what? seeds. Belvita. Belvita bars. Belvita, like the whole. Oh, like the giant, the giant stick of cheese. No, Belvita? that's that's Velveeta. No, Belvita. <laughs> They're like, like what kind of snack is that? They're, they're like crackers with fruit in them and stuff. They're good. Oh, okay. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so concerned. Oreos, every cookie possible. Oh yes, cookies, uh, brownies, cake, uh, muffins, cookie dough truffles. Times up. Okay. Times up. Nice. All right. All right. I mean, I, I think we did all right there. Yeah, I think we came up with a lot of snacks. Yeah, especially since there's literally a muffin right in front of me, and it took me <laughs> until the last second to say that there was a muffin. So, oh boy. pretty girls walk like this 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 pretty girls walk like this 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 so you might be asking yourself why did we choose this book for the book of the month well we heard great things about this novel it's critically acclaimed and has amazing reviews despite the heavy content we also wanted to mix things up a bit and read a thriller or mystery this month. So why not start with Karen Slaughter? All right, so the book we read this month was Pretty Girls by Karen Slaughter, who is a New York Times bestselling author of more than 20 novels. Her works have been published in 120 countries and more than 40 million copies have been sold worldwide. She has one novel adapted into a series, Pieces of Her, and two others, The Good Daughter and False Witness, are currently in development for film or TV adaptation. Karen is the founder of the Save the Libraries, a nonprofit organization established to support libraries and library programming. Pretty Girls is a standalone mystery thriller by Karen Slaughter. The novel follows the story of two sisters, Claire and Lydia, whose older sister, Julia, went missing 20 years prior. The story explores the different ways a family is impacted by tragedy, what tears them apart, and what can ultimately bring them back together. When Claire and her husband Paul are attacked in an alley, Paul is killed. Claire and Lydia begin to unravel secrets about Paul that lead them on a chase to find the truth. Meanwhile, another young girl has gone missing, and Claire and Lydia believe that there is a link between the missing girl and their sister Julia. All right, so let's talk pretty girls. 
let's start with the characters and the structure. The book is written from multiple characters' points of view, as well as through journal entries, letters from Sam, the father of main characters, Claire and Lydia, uh, to his missing daughter, Julia. So who was your least and favorite character and why? And was this story structure successfully done? So my favorite character was Lydia. She, I thought, was just the most grounded. I thought that she was the most real, not like not like the other characters weren't realistic or anything like that, but she was like J-Lo, I'm real, real. And I liked that. My least favorite character was obviously Paul. He was the absolute worst dumpster human in the world. So I, <laughs> I hated him. <laughs> he also got a little caricature-y towards the end. So... I, I didn't like that. And the story I thought was very successfully done, the structure. I, I really enjoyed the letters from the dad, from Sam. Those were some of my favorite parts. They gave me all the feels. I At one point I was just like hysterically crying. Read it, I, listen, I read this on audio, so I was listening to it. And I, I really liked going back and forth between Claire and Lydia. And I liked seeing the different dynamics between the sisters and how different their lives were affected by the, the disappearance of their older sister, Julia. Okay. I agree with you about favorite and least. I couldn't stand Paul. I did like Lydia the best. I really, I didn't, I didn't really like Claire. And the father, I think maybe, maybe one of my favorites as well, um, Sam, because to go into the structure of the story, I mean, basically you'll get a letter from the father, which is heartbreaking, uh, you know, it's a father writing to his missing daughter who may or may not be dead as far as he knows. And it's just really heart-wrenching to read. Uh, <clears throat> so he might be my favorite character. Um, and the implements of his letters kind of give relief because you're getting multiple points of views from both sisters, Lydia and Claire. And it goes back and forth. You're getting a lot of material and this these letters kind of break it up in between. But it's not really relief, actually, now that I think of it, because I was sad. <laughs> It's sad. Yeah, his letters uh, made me so sad. <laughs> but at the same time, I thought that the structure structure being uh, different points of view in this family unit, uh, the father and his two daughters was very gripping and, and well done. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So this book includes many descriptions of violence and sexual violence throughout the novel as it does center around the abduction, torture, and murder of young women and girls. Do you think this book was too graphically violent, not descriptive enough, or was it just right in order to generate the necessary suspense? So I appreciate Karen Slaughter's message that she's sending here about how these horrific acts do exist in this world. And I believe that there should be light shown on it and there should be awareness made on this, this issue about how girls are kidnapped and girls do go missing. And these type of heinous acts are filmed for people's pleasure and amusement. People make money off of these things, you know, trafficking and things like that do exist. And I, I think it's an important message to include in, in a book. I do think that she went over the top and, and very graphically violent in a lot of areas that were not necessary, especially during Lydia's abuse and torture. Uh, I also thought, you know, I don't want to watch a snuff film. And I didn't really appreciate, um, you know, several pages repetitively repetitively letting me know what was happening in the film i get some of it had a reason behind it but i feel like she maybe took a little too step too much of um what's the word I, I feel like she she just went over the top with it uh she could have taken a little bit of a step back and we still would have gotten that message okay i agree and disagree so i didn't think the stuff 
with the girls was too graphic. I thought that that was appropriate for the novel. Where I started to feel it was too graphic was when we got towards the end of the book and Lydia is being held captive and she's being, you know, tortured by Paul. I didn't think it was necessary. We didn't need to know what he was doing to Lydia because we already know, knew what he was capable of because we knew that he was responsible for what had been done to these girls. So at that point, I felt that that was really unnecessary. I don't think it added anything to the plot or the characters. It seemed a little gratuitous at that point. However, I did think that for this novel, the, the other stuff was more appropriate. It is graphic, but I thought it was appropriate for this novel. Yeah, I mean, the part in particular I'm, I'm thinking of is uh, not to get graphic in our discussion, but there is a scene that they're just, you know, the um, snuff film is being described and a girl is chained to a wall and raped with a machete. And as she's dying, being raped um, by the man, the killer behind her. And I just, you know, I get it that this, you know, um, they want you to to paint the picture of this killer about how horrible it is and about, you know, the the horror, the horrifying things that this person can do. Uh, but I feel like it was a little hard for me personally to read. And this is just a personal thing. I don't like things that are too graphic like that. So that was my issue with that specifically. Um, yeah that actually I could not sleep after reading that that night yeah and definitely the you know the novel is not for everyone definitely check the trigger warnings yeah. for me for me it didn't bother me so there is this quote by it's um, a Mexican poet that said art should comfort the disturbed and disturbed the, and disturb the comfortable and that's what this book reminded me of so I did feel disturbed but to me it was I, I didn't mind it because I do think it brings awareness to these important things that happen. And I, I did feel like she was trying to send a message that this is a horrific thing that happens and you should be horrified and you should be disturbed by it and just be aware that it really happens. So that's why I didn't mind it as much. But again, it, that's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. For It worked for me and it very clearly did not work for you. So just anybody that's considering reading this, be aware of that and know, yeah. you know, your triggers and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, know what you would be getting into. Yeah. So let's go into the story. Uh, we learn at the start of the book that Claire and Lydia's sister, Julia, went missing at just 19 years old. Julia's disappearance made a huge impact on her entire family. Sam writes, quote, when you first disappeared, your mother warned me that finding out exactly what happened to you would be worse than never knowing. So which do you think is worse, knowing or never knowing? And why do you think each family member reacted the way that they did? Yeah, this is a tricky question because I think both knowing and never knowing could be worse depending on the situation. I think in the situation in the book, it was probably worse to know what had happened to their daughter because of how horrific it was. However, not knowing allows your imagination to fill in all these gaps. And if you're imagining the absolute worst and it wasn't the absolute worst it's maybe better to know and it relieves some of that anxiety but then of course on the other hand if you're not imagining the absolute worst and then it turns out it's this that's a lot that's a lot worse so to me i, I think this is very dependent on the situation and the circumstances at hand um the family members i really liked this about the book how it explored the way that the different characters were handling this trauma in that occurred in their family and so we see claire has become this kind of perfectionist she is very 
uh, people pleasing and kind of goes with the flow. And then we have Lydia who turned to drugs. We have uh, the dad who ultimately, at least at the beginning of the book, we believe he has committed suicide. And then we have the mom who just became very cold. The parents ended up divorcing. And I, I thought that this was very realistic. I thought that all of this made sense for a family torn apart by tragedy. And I really liked seeing the different paths that that they all took following this tragedy. Yeah, I agree with you. In a situation like this, I mean, if it was a lighter situation, you know, if somebody's cheating on you, I mean, I'd, I'd want to know and I'd want to know all the details. Yeah. Uh, but in a situation like this, as a mom, you know, God forbid, Jesus, I, I don't even want to know. But a situation this heavy, I, I'd rather know the what, but not the how. So I'd rather know, uh, you know, what had happened to to this person but i i wouldn't want to know the details um i think it would be better not to know um the how in this situation as far as how it affected each family member that is realistic of course each family member is going to react and then and then cope in their own ways i really feel that the parents well the father really didn't get a chance but the mother knowing uh should have at least gave the at least let her daughters know that their sister was not just missing that she did, you know, die. They, she could have held back the, the, the ways that she was, um, that she died, that the ways that she was killed, but at least let them know, uh, had it, have maybe it would have maybe impacted them a different way. I'm not sure, but, um, turning to drugs is common when something happens. I can see that she also had a, a flaky, uh, past, uh, Lydia. So this helped push her over. I believe, I think she was really, uh, with the wrong crowd beforehand anyway. Yeah. Um, but you know, and then this actually a wedge gets put between the sisters. So there's a lot of bad things that go on and it's all ultimately, um, stemming from this disappearance of, of their sister, the parents get divorced, you know, um, obviously it's definitely going to be hard on a family, uh, to experience something, you know, so devastating like this. Yeah, definitely. For sure. So at the start of the book, we see Claire and her husband being attacked in an alley, which results in Paul's death. We also learn that there's a 16-year-old girl named Anna Kilpatrick who has gone missing. As far as the plot goes, what did you know? And when did you know it? And at what point in the book did you begin to piece together everything that had happened? Okay, so at the start of the book, you know, you have this wife and husband. Some strange things are occurring between the two of them, but you know, you're not thinking anything too drastic, especially when uh, all of a sudden the husband and her, you know, the the wife and husband get robbed and the husband is stabbed and he dies. So you're just like, how horrific. Oh my God, I feel so horrible for this woman that she has to deal with this about her husband. And then you find out that the husband really isn't the greatest guy. You know, she starts uncovering all these secrets, deep, dark secrets about their marriage and red flags that she just chose not to see um, until afterwards. So, you know, at that point, I started being very suspicious of Paul, especially when we're switching to Lydia's point of view. And when she finds out that her brother-in-law was killed, she says uh, to Rick, her boyfriend, you know, I hope he suffered. So that at that point, I was just like, oh, wow, what did he do? Uh, And you find out that he's just a terrible man. And the things that he does are just so, you know, unbelievable. So at that point, I started to piece together, okay, well, she uh claire finds on her husband's computer and by the way a dark deep room in the basement with like codes on it 
you know, disturbing red flags that maybe Claire didn't see, but maybe an outsider looking in would be like, uh, hey, you might want to see what your husband's up to down there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He's basically, there's a man cave and then there's that. Uh, that's totally different. You know, yeah. it's a little disturbing. Uh, so, you know, and there was some red flags too. Like, you know, he likes everything super clean. You know, everything was, there's bleach everywhere. Come on. Like, you, you're with a serial killer girl. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, I started to piece things together after seeing uh, what was on his computer. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know necessarily that he was alive. Uh, I didn't know any of that. I didn't know that he was the killer. I thought maybe he was just involved in the distribution of the films. Um, but as as the story went on, I started to piece together little by little uh, exactly what happened. And uh, I kind of predicted certain things. I was thrown for a loop, though, with a, something else. But we'll talk about that a little later. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I was really suspicious of Paul. He was, we don't really know him at the beginning of the novel. However, it's made clear by Claire that he's acting out of character. He's being really aggressive, that he wants to have sex with her in an alley is just unusual. And he's just saying things and acting in a way that was atypical for what she believed to be within his character. I thought that was super weird. And then once we get back to the house and we see she's talking about how he's such a neat freak, he's kind of a control freak. I thought that that was super red flaggy. And then exactly what you were thinking with he has this separate garage that's essentially a separate house and then it has this creepy basement i was like why do you need this unless you have something yeah. to hide why do you need that it had cameras everywhere yeah he custom built the, their house and he built it around this creepy little room yeah red flag really really red flaggy it was throwing up all my red flags i didn't see paul being alive i did think at one point that maybe he had planned the attack that he had coordinated it for some reason and then was accidentally killed like i i thought he arranged everything and he wasn't supposed to be killed but something went wrong and he did so i i didn't expect him to still be alive i don't think he needed to be alive i i mean I don't really care so much that he was still alive. I got really annoyed later on when they were trying to explain how he was supposed to be placed into witness protection and then he ended up evading the FBI. That was a little much. So mm -hmm. I, I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't really care for that. Um, but I definitely thought there was something off with Paul. And then as soon as we find these films, which honestly is pretty early on in the novel, I know they're still kind of up in the air about whether these tapes are real, whether or not Paul was actually involved with them. Uh, I was pretty convinced though no normal person has something like that in a secret basement room. <laughs> so yeah. it's just, I, I knew that there was going to be something off with Paul. And I had a feeling that he was involved with the, at least the missing girl, Anna, and probably these other missing girls. I wasn't convinced that he was responsible for Julia because I believe he would have been much younger at the time. And it, it was revealed that he was. I did think that maybe his dad was involved because it did give me that dragon uh, girl with the dragon tattoo vibes. And that's right. exactly what ended up happening. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. So what was your opinion of the series of events starting with Paul's funeral? through Claire being reunited with Lydia at his gravesite. Yeah, actually, that, that's a good point. Uh, that was another thing that was sending up red flags for me was Lydia's reaction to all of this. So she's immediately happy when she finds out that Paul has been killed. She was relieved and 
you know, just thrilled about it. And then she goes and pees on his gravesite. So I was like, all right, obviously this guy is a jerk. Like there's something wrong with this guy. He obviously did something to Lydia. We do find out that he had tried to rape Lydia in the past. And this actually created another wedge in the family where Lydia was kind of blacklisted. She didn't speak to any of her family for about 18 years as a result of them not believing her her accusation against Paul, which was absolutely true. So I really liked finding, I, I really just enjoyed reading about Lydia at this point. I thought she was so funny. I thought this whole interaction was really funny. I also really liked getting some information about Claire during these scenes. So we see her interacting with people at the funeral. We see how she really is truly devastated by the death of her husband. It was very abrupt. You know, this wasn't something she could prepare for. And it was just interesting to see the different ways that these two sisters were reacting to the same thing that had occurred. So I, I really enjoyed all of this. Um, and I, I just thought Lydia was super funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that, how she just shows up at his grave site and she's literally peeing on his grave. And all of a sudden, the sister she hasn't seen in almost 20 years is like, uh, excuse me, you're peeing on my husband's grave. And she was like, good. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know... It, it was disturbing at first when you're reading it because you don't know about Paul just yet. So you see this happening. You know something went down with Lydia and him. You just don't know what yet. And then it was disturbing to find out that, you know, Claire was dating this man two months, doesn't believe his, her own sister because her sister had an issue with drugs. So doesn't believe her own sister because she feels like she's not trustworthy, but this guy that she just met of two months is. And I, I just think that's her, horrible. And the mother also uh, blacklisting her. Um, so I felt really sorry for Lydia at this point. Lydia seemed to have her head together. She wasn't doing drugs for a very long time sober. I think it was like 18 years or, or something around, those 17. around that. Yeah, yeah, 17 years. That, that Right. She stopped when her daughter was um, conceived. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just felt bad for Lydia. Uh, you know, it, it's horrible, but sometimes um, families do have fallouts. And obviously this is uh, a horrible, a horrible cause um, of something like that. But. Uh, it did impact this whole family greatly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, it starts to, you're, you're seeing Claire, a grieving widow, uh, at her funeral, 100 people are, um, her husband's funeral, 100 people are following her to her house. She shows up and there's FBI at her house. She can't even have people in her house to grieve with her. Uh, she has to tell everybody to leave. And then she just starts finding out all these disturbing facts. Uh, I mean, the good thing is it does bring her closer to her sister. After seeing her, she looks her up after she sees these horrible videos on her husband's grave. I mean, uh, on her husband's uh, computer, and she wants to reconnect with her sister. Um, so that was nice to see that. But other than that, um, I think it might have even just been a plot device to have uh, the sister re-enter the story so that later she could be tortured. But... Uh, as a family perspective I'm no glad. I don't think I think the point of you know one of the themes in this novel is the how tragedy effect affects families and then you know how they can ultimately be brought back together and I think the death of Paul is what brought them back together I don't think she was she served a bigger purpose than to just be tortured at the end no um, I mean Karen Slaughter re-entering her together but it does it does show you know um how a, how sisters um grieve and then obviously they were torn apart and how they come back together I, I liked that about the novel having them working together to solve this this mystery of Paul and what he's been up to I also you know when 
she has to send the people away. I, I agree with you. It was kind of another trauma on top of a trauma. However, Claire also kind of expressed feeling relieved. She wanted, she didn't want these people in her house. She wanted to be alone because she felt like everybody there was fake. So where Lydia has gone on to kind of develop this really tight, small family unit of her own that she feels is very supportive and that there are people that she can turn to in her daughter and her boyfriend, Rick. Claire has all of these people. Paul had all these people, but she didn't feel like any of them were really close to her or that they were anybody that she could really trust or rely on outside of maybe her mother. So I thought that once again, it was just interesting to see those two uh, different dynamics in the two sisters. I, I like yeah. seeing that. And that, that really sets the tone for the rest of the book too, because once Claire's, uh, you know, she had the funeral and then she was headed back to the house and the FBI is there. That's how you know the story is going to be different because a typical widow won't have that situation happening to her. So as Claire is going through Paul's secret files, which she discovers in his, his garage secret room in the basement, she basically uncovers a bunch of files that are all labeled with women's names. She finds one with Lydia's name on it. And this shows that Paul had been having Lydia followed by a private detective every year on the anniversary of the attempted rape. So it is also revealed that Paul anonymously paid for Dee, who is Lydia's daughter, her private school education, which Lydia would not have been able to afford on her own. Why do you think Paul did that? And what did you make of, of this reveal? Control. I think with Paul, it was all about control. I think uh, him having not only Lydia, but all these other women in these files followed around on that day shows, number one, that these women are alive. So possibly they all escaped him. We know Lydia definitely escaped him. So having these women, or specifically Lydia, followed on the day that she escaped him gives him a sense of control. Well, maybe I couldn't control that situation, but now I sure as hell can control every single year on that day, um, you know, how I'm following you around. And as far as the daughter goes, I mean, he's paying for the private school education of her daughter anonymously because he's controlling where her daughter goes to school, how it's paid for. And I believe that that sick bastard was really watching her because it's noted that she looks so similar to Julia, the older sister that went missing. Uh, and I feel like, God forbid, down the road, perhaps he might have kidnapped her and did something horrible to her as well, since he seems to be cycling through this entire family of all these girls. Uh, you know, he, he tries to rape Lydia. He marries Claire. He murdered their sister. Uh, who's next? Obviously, it would be um, this girl. So. I think that's why he did. I think ultimately this type of person is all about control. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that he does this as a form of control for a few reasons. I also think he gets a sick enjoyment out of it, knowing that he can watch them and have them followed and have access to them and them never know about it whatsoever. So I think that he really enjoyed knowing that. I think it gave him a sick pleasure. And I think he could also potentially use it as blackmail. So if they ever did try to come out against him, he could basically just pull up the file labeled Lydia and say, well, I know that you have this. I know about this. I can threaten your daughter. I can threaten your boyfriend, Rick. And basically he can squash whatever claims she's going to make just through the fact that he has all of this information. I agree with you. I think he was following D. He makes it clear to Lydia they don't actually show us this in the book, but Lydia mentions it when she's talking to Claire once she's been rescued, 
that he details to her what his plans were for D when she turned 19. So she's 17 in the book. He planned essentially to do what he had done to Julia, to D, once she did turn the same age that Julia was at the time of her death. So he he's sick. And I think he he does enjoy having this power over people. I think that's why he paid for the school, knowing that he she's reliant on him and she doesn't even know it because her kid wouldn't be able to go to that school if it weren't for him. He made that possible and she doesn't even know. So once again, I think he gets that sick enjoyment out of that. I think he loves that, but he does it to basically control all these girls and Lydia. Yeah, this is this is a really sick man, uh, yeah. obviously. So one of the criticisms, one of the criticisms of this book was that after the quote big reveal, Paul's actions become cliche or over the top unbelievable. So do you think that this is true or do you think that he was a fully realized independent character? I do think he was a fully realized independent character. I, I didn't feel like he was unrealistic. I thought the plot became unrealistic towards the end. So I think his character was fine. I believed his character. I do believe that there are sick people like this. I may have mentioned this, I don't remember, but I have read a lot of true crime and people like this really do exist. I, I felt that he was believable. However, I did think the plot became a little unrealistic. So when we have him evading the FBI and getting away from them when he's supposed to be going into witness protection, and then we have him kidnapping Lydia and torturing her. And, you know, at the very end, he's like, not dying and just you know continuing to manipulate and um uh trigger people i i just thought it, it became a little too much towards the end it, it wasn't necessary i think we could have had all of that taken out and it would have been the same message for the book and i don't think it it really changed anything so i think my issue is more with the plot than it is with his character yeah. I mean, it, I agree that it was over the top and unbelievable. You know, I, I don't think it was cliche, though, the fact that this is uh, a serial killer, but he's going after one family. I mean, that's not typical. Yeah. You know, but I don't believe that's really even realistic. I don't see somebody going out there and just targeting a family. I don't no. know. To me, that just didn't seem believable. And I agree with you that the plot really doesn't... Uh, the plot is the one that's super over the top, unbelievable. However, you know, he fakes his death with the help from the FBI because he was going to be in witness protection. If these type of people are the ones that are offered witness protection in real life, this disturbs me to my core that mm. this person would be allowed to keep living his life on some creepy computer somewhere, you know, just because he's giving up another name. And P.S. the name was himself. He evaded the cops by saying there was someone else. And I don't know. It was that was a little unbelievable to me. Well, His evasion of the cops wasn't unbelievable to me, though, because I I do follow true crime here and there. And I do know that uh, Ted Bundy evaded the cops in a way. I think he did it twice. He was so calculated and um, and smart that he evaded the cops twice. He was able to escape them. So that I could see being a little more believable. Not necessarily that he is, he tricked them into witness protection and evaded that. That's a different story. Uh, but but his big reveal of being alive and faking his death, the faking the death part, I mean, after I thought about it, I was like, okay, he could have hired these people to do this. Maybe he's not really dead. But I was wondering, I was like, did he have a closed casket then? So many questions, you know, what was going on with that? And then as far as 
you know, the big reveal, oh, he's alive. It was a surprise to me, but it wasn't, uh, you know, one that was like, oh my God, wow. I was like, this is stupid in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, not only that, but now he's, you know, kidnapping Lydia. He's torturing Lydia. He was dying uh, in a fire, but still living. A lot of it was, was a little over the top for me. And I think like you said, it just goes to the plot and to the way things unfolded uh, more than his character, particularly. So, uh, I yeah, do agree I, with you. I, oh, I feel sorry. It's, it's over the, no, I just, I do feel like it's a little unbelievable. Yeah. And I do agree with you about him targeting this one family. I felt that that was the most unrealistic thing in this book. I, you just don't see that ever from, I mean, it may, it's possible. It's definitely something that could happen, but it's not something that I've ever seen happen from what I've read or, or watched, you know, in terms of documentaries and stuff like that. It's just very unusual. It, that seemed, it reminded me of Jaws when the shark in like the second or third one or whatever follows them from like Cape Cod to Florida. Yeah. Did you, right. you know, it's yeah, like, how all right, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, it's like, this is stupid. But a lot of my notes were like, ridiculous, you know. Yeah. In terms so, of the witness protection, though, he they thought that he was just a distributor. So while that's still terrible, they thought that they were going to be getting the person that was making the films, the actual people that were murdering and raping these girls. They didn't know that he was the one doing it. They thought he was just distributing the media to the masses, which is very horrible. But if it's between that person and the person that's actually in the movie, you obviously want to catch that person. So I, I can I think that is realistic for the FBI to work with somebody like that to get the person that's actually murdering and raping. They just didn't know that he was the one that was doing it all. So Right. But where <laughs> wouldn't he have had to prove his innocence? Like wouldn't he say like, "Oh, it's definitely another person. I have proof." Where's your Not proof? Really. I mean, it's going to be based on his his word. He's he would be considered like a a an in what's uh, an informant co- confidential informant yeah mm-hmm. so they would just basically take somebody on the inside and accept their word and then use him once he's in witness protection to get evidence however they never got to that point because he evaded them i don't know yeah. i i i know that it's possible to evade the police i i know ted bundy did it but how rare that's so rare you know what i mean i i just to me, that was more unrealistic than them working with him with witness protection. Because I would like to say, I hope it's unbelievable that they wouldn't allow someone like this to enter witness protection. And I don't know. We'll never know. There's so many shady, horrible things that happen, corruption everywhere. Uh, but I, in my heart, I'd like to think that they would never allow this type of person to get witness protection and stay around after all he's done. They definitely you know? do. They, you have yeah, to work I know. with bad people to get worse people, you know? It's so it's so sick and yeah. sad. Yeah. So at one point in the novel, Lydia is talking to Rick, saying that pretty women can get away with anything. They can get or get away with anything. And she says, the world stops for you when you're pretty. Do you think that's true? I don't. I mean, I think it's pretty shaming. You know, you can't really say something about someone just because they were born in a way they couldn't control. So I don't think that's true. I mean, yes, um, you know, in a patriarchal society, maybe a pretty woman can get away with certain things like a, you know, a ticket with a cop or something like that. Uh, but it's all about the way that you um, handle that situation. It's, it's more about how you come off and, uh, you know, talk yourself out of the ticket or whatever the case may be. So in, in my case, I just don't feel like that's 100% accurate. I feel like it depends on certain situations. And, uh, 
I don't know. I mean, there is something I noticed in this novel about how Lydia was um, always considered very pretty, and I'm sure she's pretty still, but she she's packed on some weight. Um, there's some fat shaming going on, which I didn't appreciate in, uh, you know, when Paul's torturing her in those, in those scenes. Uh, and I feel like maybe there's a message in this book that once Lydia isn't considered as, you know, quote, pretty as maybe she once was, her life goes more into order and she's able to kind of blend in and go behind the scenes a little bit instead of being, you know, uh, up front and central. The only thing I will say, not that the world stops for you, but I do feel pretty women um, don't have it easy. Because uh, if you say something like that, it sounds like they do. But, you know, a pretty woman is more likely to get targeted uh, to be kidnapped or to be hurt, raped, something like that. Um, you know, more likely uh, for something uh, bad to happen to that person. So, you know, I feel like being a woman is hard enough as it is. And when we start labeling and shaming, it gets worse. I disagree with you. Um, because I, I do agree with you that pretty girls are maybe more likely to be victims. However, there's plenty of people that are not considered attractive that are also victims, but there have been studies that show that attractiveness, regardless of male or female, does result in being treated differently. So people are more likely to trust you when you're more attractive. They're more likely to buy things from you. You're more likely to get away with things that for ugly people or people that they don't deem attractive, they would not tolerate. So I do believe that there is something to the, the the statement that the world stops for you when you're pretty. There's, you know, the world is fascinated with pretty people. And again, I am not specifying whether this is just women or men. I do think it's for both of them. But you know, we want to see beautiful people on our TV screens. We want to see beautiful people selling us our clothes. And, you know, that's the reason why Hollywood and, you know, the things that we watch on TV and the ads that we see, they are all pretty people. If you watch a, a teen show these days, they're all in full glam. There's nobody that looks realistic anymore. And it's because we do have this fascination with pretty people. And I do right. think that they do have certain advantages i'm not saying that that doesn't mean that there are also disadvantages because there are however i think that there certainly are advantages that people who are more attractive have and once again there have been studies that have verified that so i i agree that maybe certain things in life are a little bit easier when you're pretty i do disagree that it does it means that you can't be a victim or anything along those lines anybody can be a victim Mm -hmm. But we do have a tendency just to put so much weight on the way that people look. And when it does come to rape and things like that, you know, if it's a pretty girl that gets raped, they'll say, oh, well, look at her. You know, what kind of messages was she sending to him? What was mm -hmm. she wearing? Oh, she went out looking like that. You can't help the way you look. But then if, if somebody gets raped who's not attractive, they'll say, why did you, why would that, you're probably lying because why would they want to rape you? You're not even attractive. So it's just... I think there is something to this. I, I disagree that Karen Slaughter was trying to say that if you're ugly, you're going to be happier. Um, I think that she does a good job of exploring the dangers that are out there for pretty girls. This book right. is called Pretty Girls because it's about the really horrible things that happen to pretty girls for absolutely no reason other than 
we live in a disgusting society with some yeah. really horrible humans. And to piggyback off that, you know, it's sad, but we're it's it's society's fault. I mean, we're groomed and indoctrinated basically at a young age to desire to see things like this. Yeah. You know, whereas sometimes I want to see somebody who looks like me uh, trying something or, you know, in more of my situations. So this way I know it's a better fit for me. But that's not how society works. You know, society grooms no. you in that it, sense. It starts when you're a baby. So mm -hmm. I, I mean, I could talk about this for days, so I'll keep it short. But when you see a little girl, what's the first thing they say? Oh, you're so pretty. You're going to grow up and be such a pretty girl. Or if you're a little boy, oh, you're going to break mm -hmm. hearts one day. These are yeah. chill. These are little babies. You know, we yeah. shouldn't be talking about the way they look. No. What's one of the first things we're doing for little girls? We're putting them in these pretty bows and we're taking pictures of them. And then Giving when they're them Barbie dolls, when, yeah, when they're a little bit older, we're way. getting them pretend makeup and, you know, we're focusing on fashion and things like that. Mm -hmm. And we're telling it, it's a subliminal message to young girls that the most important thing for you is going to be how you look. So you better start focusing on it now. And yeah. it's dangerous. It's really dangerous. I think we are starting to get better as a society, but it's still something that's extremely prevalent. In a book coming up, I won't get into too much detail, but A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, there is a girl, uh, actually two sisters who experience from their father something horrific like this, where they tell he basically tells them, listen, you're nothing without your looks. So, you know, you better concentrate on your looks and get out there and use your moneymaker to your advantage, basically. And that's a horrific message to send to your girls. Absolutely. Claire had been unaware of Paul's misdeeds prior to his death. As she begins to unravel the truth of his past, do you think that Paul, do you think the lies Paul told change Claire's past? For example, the fact she believed she was happy and lived a perfect life and had a perfect marriage. Do you think Lydia is happy with her current life? Why or why not? So I, I don't know how I feel about this question about Claire because no it doesn't really take away those those memories that were happy for you but at the same time it has to taint them right i i don't think you can look back on what was once considered a happy memory and continue to feel that it's a happy memory knowing what you know now so i think that she can probably still reflect on it and say i was happy in this moment in time but I do think those memories are forever tainted because I just don't see how anybody could reflect on uh, on that without thinking about, you know, the fact that he was actually this this two two faced monster. You know, he was living one life and then living a completely different life, and in that other life, it was it was scary. It was it was really dark, and I just don't see how you can continue to look at it that way. Um, I think that with lots of therapy, she can move on and hopefully not feel maybe so deceived or betrayed and just continue to improve her life and work towards more happiness and maybe something strives for, for something that's not perfect, but that truly makes her happy versus something that she perceives as being perfect from the outside. And then I do think Lydia is happy with her life. I think she's had a lot of struggles and she worked really hard to get to where she's at. And even though she has gone through a serious trauma, she does have a really strong support system in her daughter and her boyfriend, Rick. And now she also has an additional support system as she's been reunited with her sister and her mother and her grandmother. So I do think that she is, is happy with her current life. 
I, I think she'll need a lot of therapy too, but she does have a support system. So I think that's kind of what Claire lacked the most is she had Paul and he was kind of her whole world. Um, you know, her friends were fake friends, her family, her mom is kind of cold. So even though she mm -hmm. had her mom, they weren't really close. They weren't confiding in each other. They weren't supporting each other. That makes me wonder too about their mother, if their mother after what happened with Julia kind of closed off her daughters. So this way, God forbid something happened to them. It might've been not easier because it would never be easier, but maybe it would be easier for her to cope if she didn't know Lydia and, you know, Lydia, Lydia became a stranger and maybe, you know, she's a little cold to Claire. I don't know. And I'm just mm -hmm. speculating. There's no grounds for that or, you know, supporting evidence in the book. It's just a thought. Yeah. A theory. Yeah. But um, I, I mean, Claire's marriage was never perfect. Okay. He had a hidden basement that I believe the quote was, uh, she said he spent a lot of time in, right? So obviously, you know, they're not really spending time together. He was always in this hidden basement, which is super red flaggy. Uh, you know, she was cheating on him with his uh, friends. She wasn't even faithful. Uh, so clearly their marriage had serious, serious flaws. Uh, and they were never in a perfect relationship. Um, you know, she needed therapy. He needed therapy. She lost her sister. <laughs> he killed her sister uh, and then married her, you know, and then married the sister of, of the woman that she killed. He killed. Uh, just very disturbing there. Nothing perfect about her life or their marriage together. As far as Lydia, I do feel that she is happy with Rick. She is sober. You know, applause to her on that for being sober for so long. Uh, she's very involved, even though she hates these women that, um, you know, are the uh, mothers of those that Lydia is involved. Um, I'm sorry, that D is involved with in her basketball team and, you know, her school activities, but she is involved. She's there for all the, the games and she's involved in the PTA things, you know, and, and she's definitely happy um, being a mom. I, I definitely think she was not happy, of course, uh, being estranged from her family. And it's got to be hard on you, not only losing your sister, but then losing your your other family as well. Um, the father also commits suicide, or at least that's what we believe at this point. So everyone she loves uh, fell apart and and were, became estranged um, from her. And they didn't believe her. And that was the cause. Uh, and that's got to be really hard on somebody. So I think that yeah. part of her life, I mean, maybe she was starting to come to terms with it. I don't think you'll ever come to terms with it in that type of situation. So when her sister finally comes back in her life and reaches out to her, she she jumped at the opportunity and she wanted to, you know, be a part of the family again. So yeah. I think going forward from the end of this book, uh, Lydia will be happy and, and Claire definitely has a lot of uh, work to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're both on the road to to happiness. I did want to just say Paul didn't kill Lydia. It was I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Julia. He, it was his dad. He he knew about it and he did like take photos with the body to my understanding, but he didn't, he wasn't the he one was who involved. killed her. Yeah. He, he uh, makes it a point to complain that his dad like took her and did all of this stuff without him and he was mad at him for it. So he sick. definitely wanted to, but <laughs> yeah, it is, it's sick. Do you think that Paul ever really loved Claire? And do you think that Claire was justified in what she ultimately did at the end? Do you think she had a choice or was there a better option? No, he didn't love Claire. I don't think this man could love anybody. This is a psychopath. I don't think he is capable of loving anyone. If you love someone, A, 
Uh, if you're involved in somebody's disappearance, you don't marry their sister and try to rape their other sister. You don't kill their father. You don't, um, you know, have this snuff film business. Okay. You, you don't have all these dirty, deep secrets. You don't have any secrets if you love somebody. And you definitely don't fake your death and make your wife think she's a widow and go through all that grief. I mean, Paul's a piece of shit. Uh, did Claire, what she did in the end, was it justified? Hell yeah, it was justified. I mean, I'm sorry that she had to even endure that and her sister had to endure that. Uh, she didn't have a choice. He certainly would have made her life a living hell if he let her live. Uh, he was going to kill her sister. I mean- F that, you know, she didn't, she didn't stand by her sister in the beginning and now she needed to. I mean, there's no reason why she would let him hurt her sister and then, you know, let take him back or something crazy. That would never happen. That would have been the most unrealistic thing. So for her to ha actually kill him. Yes, uh, that was the best option. I don't believe there was a better option in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you 100% about Paul. I don't think he's capable of loving anyone. I think he's a clinical psychopath like he I don't think he has the capacity for love in him um I think to some extent he did care about Claire in his sick way but not in a way that would be normal caring to most people it was like his psychopathic way of caring and it was mostly because he could control her he liked having her as like a device that he could use and manipulate mm -hmm. um she was his Barbie doll that he can control yeah and she was the perfect cover for him too. You know, he lived this quote unquote perfect life with this perfect wife and this beautiful house and this beautiful neighborhood with these Barbie rich friends. House. Yeah. And it was the perfect cover for what he was really doing with his spare time. And I agree with you that he's a disgusting human. I hate him. I really hate him. I don't always hate characters so much, but I really do hate him. In terms of Claire being justified, 100%. He had already proven that she thought he was dead once and he came back. Why are you going to let that potentially happen again? You want to make sure that this, you know, mother F is dead. He, he needs to be dead at the end of this. I thought it was a little dark how she went about it. So first she shoots him in the knee. I was like, that makes sense. Then she shoots him in the neck, but then she like straddles him, holds his hands above his head and literally stares into his eyes until he's dead. I thought that was pretty dark. And I don't think that was necessary. <laughs> or realistic. I, I don't think it's necessarily unrealistic for someone who's a little sick. I didn't think she was up until that point. But, you know, by the end of the novel, I was like, there's maybe something a little off with Claire. She's maybe it's just repressed trauma that she hasn't well, dealt with for years and years she, and years. She was but, arrested uh, prior to the yeah. incident in the alley where her husband fakes his death. She, it is revealed that that was her first night out after removing an ankle bracelet. She was arrested for uh, beating the shit out of a, a tennis player just because the tennis player said something that she didn't like that really made her think of her own sister's disappearance. Basically, she was victim shaming this woman. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I get that. She did, she went about it a little violently. So yeah. when she did this, I wasn't surprised because that girl's got to go to therapy. She's got a lot of built up anger Rage. happening yeah and this isn't a typical situation obviously obviously her sister you know disappeared and it definitely impacted her entire life and this guy was responsible he had something to do with it so she was feeling a lot of things uh but i still think it was unrealistic the way that he was burning and she was like just standing there and yeah you know it was, whole, it, it was a lot that whole scene was just drawn out i i would have preferred if claire had just gotten to the house 
shot Paul in the head and then saved Lydia. And the burning of the house really bothered me because I was like, you're burning all the evidence. I know. What are, what are you doing? You know? And I understood her rationale for doing it. She wanted to kind of like smoke him out of the room so that she had the control. But at the same time, I was like, you're literally burning all of this evidence. That's insane to me. But yeah, I, I thought that this whole point in the book was a little drawn out. It, it was unnecessary. And I, he needed to die, but we could have just shot him in the head and moved on with our lives. Mm -hmm. so. I would have maybe had a little more um, satisfaction if the evidence was saved, because then other families, not just this one, would yeah. have gotten some closure. You know, had they maybe not wanted to see the videos, that's understandable, but at least know what happened to their children. So we learn in the novel that Helen, the girl's mother, she knew what happened to Julia, but never disclosed the information to her daughters. Uh, we also learn that Paul had, in fact, killed Sam, the girl's father, uh, whereas the father had previously been led to believe he committed suicide. So what did you think of these reveals? Yeah, so... I was I was kind of shocked when we found out that Helen knew and didn't say anything to her daughters and her rationale in the book is that she didn't want them to have that image of Julia. She didn't want them to know what had happened to her, which is fine. However, there's absolutely no reason to not sit them down and say, I need you guys to know, I, you know, I've been informed Julia is confirmed to have been killed. She's dead. You don't need to explain to them how she was killed or the details of what went on you just need to give them that closure you know because well into their adulthood 20 years later possibly more I, I can't recall the exact number of years it was but they they believed maybe she really did just disappear maybe I will see my sister again it's unlikely but maybe you know they still had that hope and maybe she didn't want to take that hope away from them but to me that's cruel to allow them to have this hope, knowing that it's something that will never be realized. And they they should have they should have been made aware. They had the right to know. The part where we found out that Paul had killed Sam, I wasn't super surprised by this. I kind of expected this. However, I was hoping it wouldn't be true because I think it's stupid. Um, I I think it was over the top. I thought it was really unnecessary. I would have preferred if Sam had killed himself, that would have been more realistic to me having you know that he because we do find out that he he learns what happened to julia he unravels the whole conspiracy with paul's family and all these other powerful men and it would have been realistic for him to commit suicide for him to then you know be targeted and framed by paul was just it was just over the top i didn't i didn't care for this i agree with you i think sam's suicide would have made the most sense we get these letters these heartbreaking letters of a dad who's grieving about his daughter and if he would have you know committed suicide uh it would have made sense in that scenario it would have been more realistic this man just couldn't live with this uh, i'd get that but you know I, I did see it coming uh that paul or maybe he's his dad killed sam just because things started to unravel where he started to figure things out and piece things together uh so when it was revealed uh it wasn't so much of a shock i uh, just like you said i, I really I think it would have been better for the story realistic wise if he didn't kill him and he was, uh, you know, he did commit suicide. Yeah. Uh, but finding out about the mother knowing really bothered the shit out of me uh, that she allowed to give her daughters false hope, you know, uh, that, but this is a woman that can cut off her other daughter, Lydia. She cuts her off for like two decades, basically. 
uh, all because she didn't believe her. Like you're not even trying to reach out to her to see if she got her life together. She has a granddaughter she doesn't even know about. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, Actually, so obviously we're not. Wow. It, it was revealed at the end that Helen had tried to reach out to Lydia, but Paul intercepted the letters. I forgot about this. And oh, yeah, that yeah. was another thing that bothered me, too, because I was like, come on, Paul's intercepting these letters. Yeah, it's just, just so another stupid. unbelievable thing. Like the woman doesn't look and check her own mail. I, I just enough. <laughs> it yeah. was a lot of unbelievable uh, threads yeah. in this one thread that was just a little over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it also yeah. still doesn't explain why she didn't try reaching out over the phone. Sending letters is kind of like... Yeah, it's old right. school. Like, what yeah. is this? Yeah. You know? I mean, she could have sent emails. Uh, I'm sure Lydia, um, Claire checks her emails. I mean, what was he intercepting them to? Like, come on. I don't know. What was he intercepting her text messages? <laughs> checking her phone while she was asleep? Like... Yeah, it was a little much. much. Yeah. So did you find the ending satisfying? And did the story overall seem complete to you? Um, I mean, I found it satisfying that he died. I didn't really find the overall ending satisfying, except for the fact that like, you know, I was kind of like skipping pages after a while after Lydia's torture. I was just like enough already. This is, you know, and it took him forever to die. Like, you know, in, um, uh, uh what's, what's, uh, oh, shit. Austin Powers. Why won't you die? Like, that's how I felt about Paul. Like, just die already. Like this man <laughs> was supposed to be dead in the beginning. He wasn't dead just die all right this guy's awful um so i mean i found it satisfying that it ended i guess because i was just like all right this is drawn out i've had enough uh did the story seem to complete no <laughs> uh there was a lot of things that just bothered me uh you know like i felt like it may be realistic that you know law enforcement's not always on your side but not all law enforcement's bad and not every cop would be bad there would be somebody who would be trying to help this woman I felt like so you know there was a lot of like things that just didn't sit right with me and that could just be um me personally just overanalyzing this book uh but otherwise I guess it seems complete I mean we do have a an open and closed case you know Paul wasn't dead and now he is so I do feel like the girls are going to be uh, a little more tighten it, try to make up for lost time. I hope Claire is going to go and see a therapist. Lydia asks her, are we going to do that? Like, are we going to go see a therapist? Promise me you're going to do that because that's definitely what she needs. And I feel like maybe their cycle is, their story is complete because now they do know what happened to their sister. They found her body. They're able to bury her. Uh, you know, they know what happened to her and what she endured the poor thing. And they're able to make the com the puzzle complete um, of, from all the pieces that they were able to uncover that they were lacking all this time. So I think their story um, seems complete. Yeah, I was satisfied with the ending of this book. I, I think that Karen Slaughter did a good job of tying up all the loose ends. So by the end of the book, we can see the future for Claire and Lydia and their families, and we can see where they're headed. We can assume it's going to be much better than, you know, the path they've come from. We find out that the big players that were involved in this big, you know, snuff porn ring are all getting what they deserve. I didn't mind so much the issues with the police officers. One, there was the good FBI agent. He was good. We were seeing a lot of this through Claire's eyes, and she was feeling very suspicious. She didn't know who she could trust. She just found out her loving husband of 18 years was a... Uh, sadistic murderous 
serial killer and rapist. So I, and she was right not to trust them. It didn't bother me so much. I think the point that Karen Slaughter was trying to make wasn't so much that you can't trust officers. It was more about the dangers of power and control and what happens when psychopathic and sadistic men are in those positions of power. So what happens when a woman finds out that her husband is a murderer and a rapist and she can't turn to the police, she can't turn to the government because we find out that one of the the government officials, I can't remember if he's a governor or a senator. He wasn't a senator. He must have been a governor or something along those lines. Paul's uncle? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. he was uh I think he was a senator. Was he a senator? Okay. But we find out that he's involved and together all of these really rich, really powerful people can really do a lot to quiet women. And look at how many years this went on from since the 80s until this book takes place in the early 2000s, I believe. So from, or, or maybe even, no, it probably takes place around 2013. So for for decades, they're able to get away with this. They're able to quiet these women. They're able to do what they want with these women because they have power, they have control, and they have authority. And I think that was the the message behind this. I don't think she was trying to say that you can't trust cops or that you can't go to them or that they're all bad. I think it was just for this novel specifically, it's exploring what happens if you are in that situation. What is it like for a woman who the people that she's going to are men? men are statistically more likely to be a police officer they're statistically more likely to be in government so as a woman where do you turn when these are the people that are also doing these terrible things so i actually really liked that about this book and i liked that there was the one good officer in the end but she was still suspicious of him you know and that made sense it did turn out that he was good but you know he was an fbi agent so i agree there might be an underlying message with that uh, but for me, you know, there it's, it's not just a woman being quieted by police officers because Sam was looking into details of his daughter and being given the runaround as well. And that's a man. Um, so there are situations, too, where uh, Claire is talking about when she's arrested and she's comparing all the police officers to bugs. And there's a female officer as well, not just men there that are being compared to these cops and law enforcement giving a bad rep or so. So I just felt like there might've been an underlying message as well that um, cops can't be trusted and painting the, the cops, you know, giving them a bad reputation. And I'm not saying they're all great, but they're not all bad either. So yeah, maybe that was but... just when I was reading something I noticed and maybe something I picked up on that I didn't, you know, necessarily agree with, but it's not just women that. Um, yeah. But it, but it came down to a woman. It was about a missing woman. It was about a missing girl. And the whole point, too, was also that that officer was involved in the snuff porn ring. That was really the right. whole point yes. was that the people that they were going to were involved in this. That's and right. and that's realistic because, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that do have higher power that you would never expect that are involved in these type of things. Yeah. So that I agree with. And a lot of times parents are given that message if they go, especially back in you know, this take the, so Julia went missing in 91. I I would say this is maybe more common in the seventies and eighties, but that was a message that most parents were given. If they went and tried to report their child missing, it was, well, maybe they ran away. Maybe they weren't taken, especially if it comes down to a young girl who they, you know, they're saying, oh, well, maybe she went off with a boy. You know, it always comes down to a boy. It's what her dad says in the book. There's always a boy. 
So I, I think that the the overall message is what I had stated earlier. I think that's what Karen's daughter was going for. I don't think she was trying to give off a message of all cops are bad. I think it was really more just specifically for this book. You want to hear something? And you know what? Sadly, cops um, a lot of the time will not take uh, a disappearance of a child seriously. They'll assume that the child ran away. Yeah. Um. So you do have that in reality. Yeah. Uh, but something I just wanted to say, uh, I, I do dabble in conspiracy theories and <laughs> some of them I don't believe to be conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. I believe, Um. you know, but there is uh, just a fun fact and it's not really fun, but a fact no. <laughs> Uh. But do you remember like back in like the 80s and 90s, there would be children, missing children or missing people on the back of mm -hmm. milk cartons. Uh, and one of the theories is that before the internet and before access to things like, you know, like that, um, this was how the the ring was run, where they would show the child on the milk carton and you would call that phone number and you would say a specific phrase, some kind of passcode. And that's how you were buying kids at that yeah. time or buying missing women or whoever was late placed on the milk carton um, so that's it's disturbing um and I, I really hope that's not true but it did kind of disappear that the missing people aren't placed on the milk cartons anymore now with the internet so it does make you think mm. I don't want to think about that so thank you for that sorry <laughs> yeah it's disturbing isn't it it's very sad so yeah okay so what are your thoughts on the title pretty girls so would you have titled it anything else i wouldn't have i think this is the perfect title i don't know if i would have changed it i i like the title okay uh i mean i agree unless you want to you know to name it what our back flap was <laughs> you know a guy who gets murdered but wasn't <laughs> murdered then gets murdered you know that <laughs> That might give too much away. I think Pretty Girl is a little bit more mysterious. The case uh, of the murderer who murders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who gets um, murdered, but wasn't murdered. <laughs> yeah. Prepping for Paul could have been another one. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're not prepared for Paul. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Pretty Girls uh, is the theme. I think there's a theme there. And I think that's why she titled it as such. Yeah, yeah I agree. So what did you think of the cover art? Does it fit with the contents of the book or is there anything you would have changed? Okay, so at first I was getting mad because I'm like, this is misleading, you know, <laughs> because it's like a locket in water. I thought that there was going to be a serial killer and that these pretty girls were going to be dumped in like a river or water mm -hmm. of some sort. At the end, it makes sense because um, Julia did borrow Lydia's locket and then her body was dumped into a well. So that makes sense. Yeah. So all, all in all, it does come full circle. Uh, and it was it was very pretty, uh, mm -hmm. the cover of it with the locket there, you know. Yeah. But, uh, the I, contents inside were not so pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, water. Okay, they're going to be, they're going to end up in a lake or something. And at the very end, I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's where the water finally came in, <laughs> the well. <laughs> I know, but... the whole time I was so angry. I was like, well... Because I would have to click on it and on Kindle, like every time I'd have to click on the cover and I'd be like, yeah. what does this have to do with water? You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> it was pretty sense. and it was ominous. So I, I did. I liked the cover a lot. I thought it was a nice cover and it, it would, really does fit with the book. Would you have changed it? I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think so either. 
Or what are you going to put? Like graphic yeah. shit on the cover? I know. What are you going to put? Like a, you, a basement or like a barn? Lydia peeing on a grave? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like what are you put on the cover? <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> it would make you wonder what was in that book. Yeah, that's true. I would definitely be like, what is this about? <laughs> Oh, funny. <laughs> All right. So let's introduce a fun question that we may repeat going forward. Mm -hmm. So if this book could be summed up as something, what would it be? And uh, the rule is it has to be the first thing that comes to mind. So let's go. We have a few different options here. So if this book could be summed up as a song, what song would you think? I can only think of one song and it's all the Pretty girls walk like this. <laughs> this. Like this. Like this. <laughs> like this. Yeah. All right. Of course. Not because uh, of the content, but just no. because. <laughs> because of the title. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot, TikTok. <laughs> uh, I would have to say, it always feels like somebody's watching me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I get no privacy. Nice. Uh, yeah. How about. If this book could be summed up as a nail color, what color would it be? Black with a red accent. Oh, all right. So I was I was thinking like a crimson, like a dark blood type of red. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. All right. How about if it were a cocktail or a drink? Whiskey, straight up. No ice. Bloody Mary. Oh, I hate Bloody Mary. This is so gross yeah uh an item of clothing hmm the only thing that comes to mind is a dirty sock i don't know why <laughs> dirty sock. Why, but it's just a dirty sock i have no idea maybe like a scarf okay i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> hey, no reason i'm not explaining <laughs> all the better to choke you with Paul. <laughs> uh <laughs> how about a meal Ugh, i don't want to think of food with this book Cereal with some slightly sour milk. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say burnt toast. Burnt toast. Yeah. Like, pull, you know, you just keep putting him back in the toaster until finally he's too burnt to eat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> keep, oh, my God. Retoasted. <laughs> uh, yeah, we won't go there. How about, <laughs> how about an animal? How about, hmm, A I don't sneak. know. Oh, snake's good. I was thinking maybe like a black panther. Oh, but they're so beautiful and majestic. I, th I thought that this book in some ways was very beautiful and ferocious. But also dark. And dark, yeah. Super dark. All right. And black like Paul's soul. Got it. Yep. <laughs> All, right. All right. So the ultimate question. Yep. Would you scoop it? Would you skip it? And how many golden scoops would you give it? Okay, so... We really differ here. Uh, I'm not saying that I hated this book. Uh, I'm just saying it, it just wasn't a good fit for me personally. Uh, it sends a good message, but it was drawn out a lot. Uh, there was a lot of filler. There was really graphic violence um, portrayed, and it was repetitive sometimes. It was over the top with waterboarding and all things like that. Um, I thought it was overkill. Uh it was unrealistic a lot of the times, a serial killer going in after an entire family, you know, uh, he was dead, then he wasn't dead. Uh, that part was a little ridiculous and unbelievable for me. Uh, Claire not believing her sister, you know, 
I don't know. I guess it was important for the plot, but it wasn't realistic to me. So uh, I would give it maybe a two, two stars. I can't give it a one. I I would have maybe DNF'd it if this wasn't for the podcast, um, just because it was harsh for me to read and because there was a lot of drawn out parts. But that's just a personal thing for me. Um, but I will give it a two because I do think that she writes well. Uh, and I do want to give her credit for her writing. You know, it's just, it wasn't a good fit for me personally. Yeah. I would give this a four. So I, I did really enjoy this book. I thought the writing was beautiful and heartbreaking at times. I do think that certain parts were drawn out. There were some things I found unrealistic. However, I think that the overall message of this book is a really important one. I think this is an important novel. If you can stomach it for really any woman to read anybody that knows a woman, anyone who has a daughter, anyone who has a sister, just to really understand the realities of what can really happen to women in the real world, because these things really do happen. But yeah, I do think that this book has a really important message. I think it's really important for people to be aware of the real, the real dangers of the real world. And I think that Karen Slaughter did a commendable job at, at really setting that message up in this book. It is very graphic. So if that's a trigger for you, obviously this is gonna be a skip for you. For me, this is a big scoop. I really liked it. It is a little drawn out at parts. There are some things that are unnecessary. There are some twists and turns that are not necessary for the overall message of the book. However, this is a thriller, so it's not to it's not uncommon for that to be in in books like this. So it doesn't super affect my score, but it's why I can't give it a five. Also, for anybody that does listen to the audiobook version, it's traumatizing, but it is excellent. The narrator did a phenomenal job. And at the end, there's actually an, a short story that is pretty short and it's told from the perspective of Julia and it's her day on the day that she goes missing from morning up until the point that she gets taken. It was really beautifully written. It, it explored a lot of really important themes. I highly recommend that, especially because it doesn't have violence if you're just looking for a little short story, but with excellent writing and with some really important themes about young pretty girls. I think you should definitely take a look at that. It, it looks at not just the dangers that they experience from strangers, but also potentially from people that they know, as well as the the struggles that they have in the workplace and in school. It's just, I, I found it really, really well done. And there's also a nice author's note at the end as well that explores some statistics regarding the reporting of rapes and sexual assaults, as well as the number of girls that go missing. And I felt that the numbers were were staggering. So if you're if you're interested, I, I highly recommend that as well. And there you have it. Yeah. That's pretty girls. <laughs> yep. Uh, I forgot to say if I would scoop or skip it. I think it's obvious oh. though. I would skip. Yeah. But if you are someone who can stomach it, it's a good message, like Alex said, and maybe it's for you. So maybe scoop it. Um, but if you're like me and you don't really like the graphic violence, then definitely I would skip this or check your trigger warnings either way um, on yeah. a book like this. Yeah, definitely check the triggers. <laughs> if you have been a victim of sexual assault, please know that it is okay to speak up. It's not your fault and you are not alone. Since it's the end of the month, let's give you a rundown of the books we'll be reading and reviewing in October. On October 3rd, we'll be discussing A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson. 
On October 10th, we'll be discussing One Dark Window by Rachel Gillick. On October 16th, we have our next bonus sode on A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Mass, one of my favorite books. On October 17th, we'll be discussing The Silent Patient by Alex Michaelides. On October 24th, we'll be discussing A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey Willingham. On Halloween, October 31st, join us for our spook episode as we discuss Mary, An Awakening of Terror by Nat Cassidy. Ooh. Ooh. And finally, our October book of the month will be The Last House on Needless Street by Catriona Ward, which will air on October 25th. Next Tuesday, October 3rd, we will be reading and reviewing A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson. Join us then for our thoughts on the young adult mystery and thriller novel, and join us again tomorrow, September 28th, for another potty episode. Don't forget to mark your calendar for our next Book of the Month episode, which will air on Wednesday, October 25th. We'll be reading and discussing Catriona Ward's horror novel, The Last House on Needless Street. (laughs) The Last House on Needless Street. If you haven't read the upcoming books, but you'd like to, head on over to the link in our bio and get a copy for yourself so that you can participate in our discussions. You don't pay anything extra, but if you make a purchase using our link, we get a small commission. So thank you so much for supporting us. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, it would also really mean a lot to us if you would leave a positive review on Spotify, Apple, or whatever streaming service you're using. We would really appreciate it. If you'd spread the word by telling friends and family about the podcast, we'd also appreciate that. And we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. We also want to remind everyone to be on the lookout for our live events on TikTok. We're planning to do some live events soon, and we'll post upcoming dates on our socials. If you're just tuning in, this is what you can expect from our podcast. We're going to be releasing new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. So be sure to check out our socials for updates and also some bonus content. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and other platforms. Click on the link in our bio for access to all of our socials, our website, and other links. We encourage you to reach out to us with thoughts, ideas, questions, and feedback. You can email us at bookswithcooks at gmail.com. You can also find our full book reviews on Goodreads. These links will also be available at the link in bio. If no one told you today, you're important and valued. You belong here. You're doing great. And we believe in you. Now let's turn the page and put a fork in it because we're done with this one. to have that be an awareness. I'm going to, I'm going to take that out. That was the stupidest thing I've ever said. Um, but I think that's a really important message. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't know what I was saying. I blacked out for a second. <laughs> I'm going to make me choke my Sorry. <laughs> Uh, sorry. My face is so red. I just looked. My face is so red because I was about to explode like a volcano. <laughs> Hilarious. A volcano I, almost spit whole, I almost spit my whole muffin at my screen. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> sorry. 
Uh, all right. <clears throat> President and CEO of BP. Our accidental drilling spill again in the Gulf is a tragedy that should have never happened. And to all those affected, I want to say, we are deeply sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. Sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. Sorry. We're sorry. I'm deeply sorry. Sorry. Pretty girls walk like this, 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 this. Pretty girls walk like.